0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Tax Updates. My name's Ron Cohen. I'm with the CPA firm of Greenstein Rogoff Olson and Company. We're here at uh, in Fremont, California. Phone number is five ten. 797 And we're going to cover today two topics. First is about foreign bank account reports. We'll go into some in-depth review of that. And the second issue is about people who make gifts to the federal government. Believe it or not, many do. So uh, a few caveats to start. Please uh, don't rely on anything you hear in this podcast. Uh, If you need tax advice, you can give us a call or find another tax professional, give them all the facts of your situation, let them review it, make sure you're comfortable with with that person before you take any actions or transactions based on any advice or put any numbers in a tax return based on that advice. Secondly, uh, plagiarism. Well, I plagiarize lots of things. Uh, We're not writing any novels here and tax work Uh, We're taking our rules from the federal government, the code regulations. There's lots of articles written by lots of commentators. I try to give credit when I can, but please do not assume anything you hear here is uh, an original thought. Uh, Thirdly, uh, no politics. There's many podcasts you can listen to all day about politics while, however, sometimes political goals drive tax legislation, so we'll mention that from time to time. And uh, if you need any help with planning or doing tax returns, again, please give us a call here at Greenstein Rogoff Olson Company. All right, let's get right into it. All right, so uh, I'll give you a little background on foreign bank account reports and uh, the um, Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, FinCEN, and BSA under the Bank Secrecy Act. And I've lived through a good bit of this. I've been in practice nearly 40 years now. And I remember back in the late 70s and 80s on some situations, we'd fill out these forms about interest in foreign bank accounts. And it was largely viewed as almost a joke. Enforcement was almost nothing. Uh, Most people never even heard of these forms. Uh, But they started under Jimmy Carter, as I recall and it was to give the Treasury Department some understanding of where US uh, taxpayers, either citizens, green card holders, or people with substantial presence where they had the file in the US had uh, money invested offshore. Now a lot of this grew out of the uh, Swiss banking, Swiss bank account syndrome. Uh, For years you could go to Geneva or Lucerne there and walk into a bank with a with a um, suitcase full of money and you would get an account and all you would get is a number and they'd be told by the bank that uh, your account is private. It is private. It's not secret. Nobody's trying to cheat anybody. You should report everything you're supposed to, but uh, that's your affair as far as the bank was concerned at Switzerland and Swiss Switzerland's had banks for over a thousand years. Their view was that that account was private. So a lot of bad things happened with those kinds of accounts. And uh, uh, as as time went by, frankly, a lot of politicians, including those all around the world, were using those accounts. So the uh, rules did not really step up to try to get to make sure that the people who had those accounts were reporting their interest or dividends or any other kind of income from trading in those accounts because they were private. Okay, so there is a Form 114, which is the uh, report of foreign bank and financial accounts. We lovingly call it the FIBAR, or FBAR, depending how you want to pronounce it. And uh, leaving something off that could be a penalty of $10,000. So willfully leaving something off that or not filing when you're supposed to you can get up to $500,000 of penalties. So these are deadly serious and again, early on in my career, most people didn't even know what they, what they were, and the enforcement was was um, not too active. Nowadays, the federal government is adamant, adamant about these forms and pushes people to make sure that they know about them, have filed them. And uh, to just make it more confusing, uh, these are not administered by the Internal Revenue Service. They're, they're administered by another group in the Treasury Department. Uh, FinCEN and uh, that's the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network. So of course they're looking for terrorists and they're looking for drug dealers and they're looking for all kinds of things and so the the solution they came up with is to make every, every US taxpayer who has any interest uh, over a certain amount in any foreign bank account to have to file these things uh, once a year for uh, any bank accounts you had where uh, cumulatively in combination your foreign bank accounts have a value at any moment during the year, the prior year over $10,000. Um, you're supposed to file these forms and it gets really, really tedious and very, very detailed. You're supposed to tell the uh, the uh, FinCEN on this Form 114 about the name of the bank, the highest account value, and they have a whole set of regulations about how you figure out the highest account value and, and how you use uh, the foreign exchange rate correctly. But let's put that aside. Uh, the address of the bank, your account number, and absolutely, it's it's so that they can go into some foreign country and uh, and go and track down your bank account and see if you reported everything correctly. This is completely separate, again, from you know reporting interest, dividends, capital gains on your Form 1040 on Schedule B or Schedule D. You always have to do that and. And uh, uh, you now have to file in a separate electronic filing. It used to be you sent these things in with paper, went to a big office of the IRS in Detroit. Well, like a lot of things, they don't even want your paper. In fact, you can get in trouble by sending it in on a paper form. You have to sign up and uh, uh, electronically file it. All your tax return preparers, we can do it through our software. But uh, uh, individuals, and a lot of my clients file their own Form 114s, they go to the BSA uh, uh, website, they're uh, not Boy Scouts of America, <laughs> Bank Secre- Secrecy Act, and they'll walk you through it, and it's, it's not too difficult. Now, be careful. Uh, one, you, you, you literally, if, if the value is over $10,000, uh, have to be sure that you get all your accounts. So you have one account that has $15,000 in it, and you have another one that has $3 in it. Well, you have to have them both all that detail in there to be, to be compliant and get control can get in trouble for skipping the $3 account. Um, and, um, you electronically submit those and you get back a little receipt that says, uh, we've got it. Great. Thank you. Um, but let, let's get, go into some of the comp, uh, the complications of this. It sounds pretty straightforward. Oh, just report all your bank accounts. Well, it's, it's actually called a financial account. A financial account occlu- includes, and I'm reading from the FinCEN BSA uh, instructions here, includes, but it's not limited to, securities, brokerage, savings, demand, checking, deposit, time deposits, or the other account maintained with financial institution or other person performing the services of a financial institution. A financial account also con- includes commodity futures or option account. An insurance policy with cash value, whoa, whoa, I have this this little insurance policy I bought 50 years ago when I was living in England. That's a reportable account on this Form 114. Um, An annuity policy with cash value and shares in a mutual fund or similar pooled fund, i.e. a fund that is available to the general public with a regular net asset value determined and regular, and regular redemptions. Wow, you know, so here's the nightmare scenario we run into quite often is uh, grandma is getting up there in age and, and uh, she decides to put your name on one of her bank accounts because something may happen and uh, you need access to that money right away. Bazinga, <laughs> you have a foreign financial account and if it's over $10,000, uh, in value at any time during the prior year, you have a, uh, a fire bar filing responsibility, and you might also have a Form 8938 depending uh, responsibility. Uh, we'll get into that in a moment. Uh, often problems happen with children. You know, grandma's over there in India, just to pick a country, and um, she's getting up there in age, and she wants to make sure the grandkids are taken care of, and uh, puts their name on something, and all of a sudden they can have these 114 filing requirements they might not even have any income tax filing requirements cuz they're young uh then just to make it even better because you know they the, the child is just a child so they put your name on it too as their parent so that you can oversee wow now you have problems uh and and the, the, the penalties uh, again are 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 uh extreme then you can have situations well uh, you know i got married and I, now I don't really have anything but my wife does. Or we both have an interest in an account. You have to go through and look at every foreign account that uh, you have. Now maybe you don't have it but you own a corporation or a trust that has an interest in a foreign account. You may be in a situation where you have to to file two foreign bank account reports. One for the trust and one for the individuals. Uh, there was a scenario that some author wrote, I'm sorry I don't have their name, where they came up with a scenario where somebody had to file 21 FBAR reports on the same bank account because of the way uh, the affairs overseas were structured. So this can get uh, very complicated. If you, if you own a foreign corporation uh, and you own more than 50% of it, you're, you're, and you may not even have anything on the bank account, you're deemed... To have control over the bank accounts of that entity because you control the entity, so therefore, whether your name is on the signature card or, or uh, or, or you a- ever even remotely begin to transmit money one way or move money one way or the other, you're you're deemed to have authority over that because you own more than half of the entity that does. So you have to uh, drill through a lot of these different relationships. Uh, there's there's issues about uh, the Virgin Islands and. And uh, Samoa and Guam, where you say, well, that's a U.S. territory. No, no, it is a U.S. territory, but for tax purposes, they're often treated as foreign countries. So this this really gets complex. Then, um, to make it even worse, you can have situations where, um, let's say you lived in the U.K. all your life, and you had a simple little pension with the railroad company over there, for and you thought nothing of it. You did your job. You have your pension. You'll you'll get distributions as you when you're retired. Uh, one first thing to warn people is you know just because it's a pension, uh, it, it's in a financial account, and you have to be very careful to to report those. I've had many arguments with um, with clients who said, uh, well, well, why do I have to do that? And I said, well, because. They made it that way. But you get into the very difficult issue that some of these foreign pensions are deemed to be foreign trusts and now you're really off to the races. So you have your railroad pension, well it's not a US qualified pension plan, of course it's in the UK. So that plan really doesn't fit the U.S. tax code rules under the 400 code sections and ERISA and so forth. So it's really not one of our type plans. And uh, it's very common in the U.K. and Australia and all over the world where, where the company will hire a trust company and say, okay, uh, you take care of this, you do the, the uh, investment planning, the administration, and all you have is not a claim against the employer, but you have a claim against a trust that the employer set up. So now you have a five bar reporting requirement. Uh, You have an 8938 reporting requirement, which I'll talk about in a bit, but more importantly, you have a foreign trust. And foreign trusts were attacked in the 1970s because people were doing very evil tax avoidance schemes with foreign trusts. Uh, you can read up about what goes on in the Cook Islands and so forth, a uh, big elaborate thing I won't get into here. But uh, Congress made sure that there were extensive reporting requirements for foreign trusts. There's Form 3520 and 3520A, and this is like getting a mortgage when you fill these things out. They want to know everything about everything. Uh, and all of the income and all of the corpus of the trust you have a trust. You have like a, a, a completely separate taxpayer that has to be ex- disclosed extensively. And here in California, there's filings required for foreign trusts if the beneficiary or the trustee lives in California. So you have that trust in the Cook's, Cook Islands. And let's make believe all it's legal and on, on the up and up. Let me make the example that the, so you have this uh, railroad pension in the UK. The railroad didn't want to administer it or make it anything like a normal U.S. pension, so they went and hired a trust company. The trust company has it. You think nothing of it. It's my railroad pension. I'll report the income when I get paid the uh, distributions from it. Well, you have a foreign trust, and uh, you have to drill into it and get an income statement and a balance sheet and a discussion, whether it's a grantor trust or a non-grantor trust, disclose everything on Form 3520 and 3520A, and if you mess this up uh the the penalty uh just to start can be 5% of the balance of the trust so if you have any significant dollars or or uk pounds or whatever in there uh this can get excited really fast now now um, uh a lot of people are not aware of these rules and there's a lot of non-compliance of course I'm not rec- recommending that at all but just know uh, if you have a foreign bank account, security account, you know, we know what to do with the F bars. Uh, but if you have a retirement account, one you have to report that on the uh, foreign bank account uh, report in many situations. And uh, the revelation is you have a foreign trust, and and I mean 3520 and 3528s can be harder to fill out than a 1040, your whole 1040. So just for this one issue, and uh, um, the god slapping issue is uh, get phone calls here all the time they call me because they want to take care of this and then i say well take tell me about all the facts and i say well that's an issue i can fix that but you have that (laughs) and how long have you had that oh 15 20 years um and and so you have to immediately start thinking about the uh voluntary disclosure programs that the irs has streamlined procedures and so forth to try to rectify this uh, and then I'll go even further, and I do want to get back to Form eighty nine thirty eight in a minute here, but uh, I want to go even further that um, uh, um, in the Wall Street Journal, a, a high powered New York tax attorney wrote that he will be visited by let's say ten people with foreign account reporting problems, five R's, eighty nine thirty eights, thirty five twenty, thirty five twenty eight. I won't even get into in this episode 5471s, 5472, 8860, uh, 21s for uh, passive investment companies, PFIX. put all that aside. Uh, and uh, the client will listen dutifully after presenting all the facts to the lawyer who says, okay, we have to go on a trip to hell and back. We have to go and bring this all to the IRS. It'll probably take two to three years because they're not efficient, and the case will get handed off several times. That's been my experience and at the end of the day you're going to owe a million dollars in penalties uh, because you missed filing these five R reports and the add up ten thousand dollars for each one or even worse and uh, as i'll get to in a moment you you had your investment in a bad boy bank there's a bunch of european banks that are known to the irs to have been promoting these hidden money schemes and uh, there are the penalties not twenty seven and a half percent of the account balance under the uh, voluntary disclosure of course these things get updated Uh, It's 50% of the account balance and you're talking to somebody in their 60s and 70s and the meeting ends with tears and the realization that that person may have just lost all their lifetime accumulated uh, uh, wealth uh, if they were to go in and do what is required to the IRS. So the tax attorney was writing that 7 out of 10 people who um, go through the analysis and get his advice, he never hears from them again. Because it's too painful. It's too hard. Of course, I'm not recommending that. I'm just saying that's the practical reality of uh, some of these situations. So, the stupid little foreign bank account report, if you do it right, it probably takes 20 minutes a year to fill it out. But the implications for penalties can just be horrendous. Now, the Treasury Department has the Internal Revenue Service and it has FinCEN. FinCEN, uh, for- Financial Crimes Network, is where the FIBAR gets filed you have to electronically file separately your tax return uh, with the IRS and file the 114 with FinCEN. Um, In your tax return you often have to duplicate all the information that was on your 114 on form 8938 if you have too many forms specified foreign financial assets. I won't get into the limitations, it depends if you're single or married, whatever but the logical question is why do i have to tell the treasury department of the united states about the same things twice and the answer is you do Uh, the irs looks for information on the 8938 and fincen looks for things on the 114 and if you're looking for logic and for things to make sense and be elegant in all this forget it it's it's uh it's it's absolutely a duplication of information the 8938 even gets into it more deeper did you open the account this year did you close it uh uh you know uh, and 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 so forth there's more information that uh, you can look up in the instructions for that so um um i want to go back to some of the history again in that uh then the 70s and 80s these these forms were out there but they really weren't uh followed up on much. You didn't hear about people getting into trouble about them. Uh, the the uh, secrecy of the Swiss bank accounts was really preeminent. Um, they, the, the bank accounts would say, the Swiss bankers would say, your account is private and uh, give you a number. Your name was on it, but really all you had, you had to have your number. If you lost your number, you lost your money. You had to have your number. Uh, because that was the only thing to identify you and the only thing that the bank would ever let out of its grasps to, to people. Um, well then in the, uh, I believe it was the second term of Barack Obama, President Barack Obama's uh, term, the, this was thought to be look at all this unfound money. Uh, the, the penalties were always on the books for non-filing your 114 correctly and so, they figured out, we can get millions and millions of dollars um, just by following up on rules that are already on the books and have been since the 1970s. Then the other thing that happened was uh, UBS, I can talk about this, it was all in the paper for, for years. Uh, I'll give you the short story. At the end, uh, when it was over, UBS ended up paying penalties of over $3 billion. And this is me paraphrasing, but the story was, over on the East Coast, especially in Florida, Uh, uh, New York, uh, people from UBS were out telling folks, not only would your investment in a UBS bank in Switzerland be private, which is a true statement, it's private, it's private. They started selling it as being tax free. Big mistake. (laughs) Because now you've gone from giving valid information, that account is private. Well, of course you should report whatever you should report. That's not our affair. That's your affair. But your account is private. Two, this account is tax-free. And now all the, with the glossy presentations and bankers running around meeting with high-end people, and uh, that is a willful tax evasion. And so, un- unfortunately, um, uh, the uh, uh, Obama administration, the Internal Revenue Service, I shouldn't um, pin it on any administration. The Internal Revenue Service caught wind of what was going on. They saw some of these brochures and so uh, again paraphrasing, they they went to UBS uh, and and some other Swiss banks who were copying UBS and said knock it off, right? I mean uh, 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 and, and more than knock it off, uh, we want you to give us the names and amounts of every U.S. Uh, taxpayer who has deposits in your bank. Whoa! (laughs) Unheard of. We've never heard of. I mean, there were certain situations, again, with terrorists and drug dealers where subpoenas would be issued and so forth. But a blanket request of, uh, of, of the names, addresses, and amounts of U.S. taxpayers. Now, in the U.S., Right, The IRS already has 1099 forms. They, the, the banks are issuing every year, here's the income you have to report, here's the income you have to report. It's all pretty transparent because you're in the U.S. banking system. But Swiss banks and other country banks are not issuing 1099s. Uh, why would they? It wasn't the rule. Uh, and the, the owner of the account should have been picking up their interest, dividends, capital gains. Some of these accounts were trading accounts that were kept secretly in these accounts. So the Treasury Department, the Department of Commerce, as I recall, went to um, UBS just not to pick on them, but they were the biggest example and said, cough it up. And this, uh, this went through the courts and went through treaty exercises and so forth. And the comeback from the Swiss was, no, we're a sovereign country. We have our banks here in Geneva and Lucerne and so you can't, you can't tell us to disgorge. The names and addresses and amounts of our depositors. Our whole business is, 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 is privacy. That account is private. We're not going to do that. And so uh, my memory of the situation was that, uh, in, in short, they said, okay, you're a sovereign country. We get that. We respect sovereignty. But UBS, you have an office in New York and Chicago and Dallas and Miami and San Francisco and Los Angeles. Those are in our country. (laughs) And if you don't cooperate, we are going to shut those down, because we can, because uh, you're a sovereign country, but those are operating fully under our laws, and you have been collaborating in tax evasion, not avoidance, which is legal, tax evasion, which is really, really bad. And so they capitulated and this long story went on, but uh, now I'll give you the upshot of it. Now, if you walk in with a suitcase full of perfectly legally obtained thousand dollar bills, hundred dollar bills, go into a bank in, in Geneva and they'll say, well, welcome. Nice to see you. Uh, uh, what's your name? Of course, you'll tell them. Uh, show us your passport and they'll say United States of America. And uh, I'm, I'm being theatrical, but a gentleman will walk you to the door. U.S. citizens, effectively, uh, and taxpayers are, are are U.S. taxpayers of various sorts. You don't have to be a citizen to be a U.S. taxpayer. Are are effectively barred from banking in Switzerland because the Swiss said, "Well, my gosh, you came all the way through the treaty system and through our sovereignty and and uh, drilled right into our privacy and our banks here in our own country." So um, uh, uh, they they would send. I had clients had this happened. To clients, they would send the client a certified check with a letter saying your account's now closed. Goodbye. We see your addresses in the U.S. And so um, Swiss banking is now pretty much barred to U.S. Uh, taxpayers of any sort. And the Swiss say, well, you know, we can get money from the Indians and from from the Arabs and from the Chinese and and from whoever. There's lots of wealthy people in the world. Why should we? take on clients who are going to have the full force of the uh, Internal Revenue Service enforcement uh, after us simply because you have a U.S. address. So they have, uh, after going through a tremendous amount of fees and penalties and uh, some of the U.S. uh, UBS people ended up doing jail terms, uh, they've said uh, that's it for U.S. uh, uh, depositors and effectively has shut them out. So... um, be very careful. Think about your situation. When you talk about foreign bank accounts, foreign investment accounts, anything, uh, and often I have the conversation with people, look, just get rid of all that stuff. Get rid of it. Bring everything back in the U.S., because by the time you do everything I'm supposed to do, you're going to pay me a ton of money <laughs> to, uh, to do all the compliance properly, and are you even making that much interest? Uh, again, maybe grandma set them up in an account in some country long ago. Just close it and get your names off that, bring it back in the US. Of course you have to still report for the period of time you owned it and make this go away because whatever, unless the benefit you're getting and to your family, to your businesses, far outweighs uh, the compliance burden. I've had many people from overseas complain and say, gee I just wanted to get involved in the US economy. These are rich people. I wanted to get involved in the US economy. I wanted to make an investment. I wanted to, you know, I think, hey, things will be good for everyone. And then my tax guy went and told me about how I have to disclose to the U.S. IRS and Treasury Department things that have nothing to do with my investment. Uh, and, and I'm sure I have foreign trusts and Greece and whatever everybody does. There's nothing illegal about it. Oh, now I, I might have to uh, uh, fill out these uh, 3520, 3520As, and that's a whole... Uh, project just in itself with high risk for anything being wrong and they've said, you know, that's it, I'm out. I'm going back to France or going back to, to Germany and I'm gonna stay there because thank you for informing me of all uh, the problems and, and, and in another episode I'll get into issues about uh, downward attribution uh, with regard to the uh, guilty rules under foreign uh, taxes after the uh, 19, uh, 2017 tax act that also draws in a huge amount of um, re- disclosure and taxation for people who are doing things that aren't even touching the US in any way. Uh, uh, and I see that as, as a bad change. They were trying to go after inversions where people spun out uh, ownership of a US company and made it owned by a Dutch company, for example, changing the ownership. And they changed the rules in a different way that uh, draws in things that have nothing to do with the US. Um, into the U.S. taxation system. Again, that's a whole nother thing. All right, so I think I covered uh, plenty about foreign bank account reports, 89, 3520, 3520 as and I'm just getting started. Boy, the, the international thing has about seven or 12 different forms that it's really, really easy to trigger, and they all have miserable penalties associated with it. Now, let's go to a happy thought. Going to a happy thought. You know, um, when I first started in 1970s, uh, a lot of our clients were, you know, World War II generation people, um, people who had uh, come to the country, uh, um, since that time. And, and, uh, people took seriously and I'm sh- sure some still do today. The, the view, the view that, well, I don't want to just pay the minimum tax. I love this country uh, the United States, I, I, I was gonna, I was really in trouble. I might've been killed if I'd stayed back in my home country or if I wasn't killed, I certainly would have had a very limited economic life because of the way those cultures are structured, not picking on any particular country. I'm so glad I was, you know, got into the U S legally. I won't get into any of those issues. And, um, and now I'm at the end of my life. I made a lot of money. I own 50 restaurants and 22 truck stops. And I did really well. I came here, you know, penniless. It's not, it's a very common story. And here I am 70 and the doctor saying, you know, I got this and that going on. And uh, uh, my kids are all taken care of. I want to give some money to the federal government. It's an amazing thought process, but we saw that fairly common. First of all, I want to pay my taxes. In fact, I'll overpay them a little bit. I love this country. I'm so glad to file my returns, pay my taxes, and do my part. But now my life's coming to an end. And I hear, you know, the deficit's pretty high uh, and the debt, you know, the, the deficit's pretty high. And I have a chance, you know, I would just like to give some money to the federal government. That is very rare, but believe it or not, under the uh, U.S. Treasury, they're called gift contributions to reduce debt held by the public. And people do just write the U.S. Treasury a, uh, a check. In, in the highest one I see here in 2012, uh, the Treasury collected $7.7 million of people who just felt in their heart, and I'm not, uh, I'm not uh, criticizing or, or belittling at all, they felt that this was uh, a part of a debt they owed for the opportunities they had in this country or, or the, they have altruism, right? They felt a need to do this. Uh, 2012, $7.7 million. Uh 2019, year just ended, almost $5 million of money. So if you have any uh, inclina- inclination... <laughs> To make that kind of contribution, uh, you can uh, go to the, the U.S. Treasury's website. The IRS also has a bid on it. And you send it to a special address. And the thing you don't want to do is pay in more with your tax churn and write some notes on it. That will confuse the IRS because people don't do that. Right? But you uh, send it to the right address with a nice check, and boy, they'll cash it. And uh, um, if that uh, makes you feel good, that's great so that if that was ever on your mind and for most it's not to pay the federal government more, but if that was ever on your mind, uh, putting again, all politics aside about how the federal government uses their money again, another political conversation we won't get into here. Um, and you feel the need to send the federal government some money. Don't just pay in more with your taxes. You have to send it to a special address and they'll be happy to to take it. And, uh, I don't know if they send a thank you letter. That I don't know. <laughs> i have to look into it. Okay, well, those were the things I wanted to talk about this week. And again, uh, any foreign financial account, any foreign financial interest at all, please sit down with your tax advisor. So many horror stories of people who have figured out the rules 10 years after they applied. And it's uh, very difficult to find a way out without having massive penalties to deal with. Uh, again, you can give us a call i'm uh, ron cohen at greenstein rogoff olson and company uh, our number here in fremont california is 510-797-8661 and uh, please again note uh, don't rely on anything you hear here in this podcast be sure to validate it or get your own tax professional make sure you lay out all the facts of what has occurred and uh, make sure you're comfortable and they have given you good advice before you use that advice in any transaction or put any numbers on any kind of tax return or or treasury filing, in this case with foreign bank accounts. All right, we'll see you next week, thank you.